Okay, I'm ready. Hello, I'm Reverend Matt. And I'm Regular Matt. And, and welcome, welcome back, back to, to the, the Welcome, welcome Matt's Podcast. 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 Yeah. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about food. Um, food is, I think, pretty important to everyone. Um, I basically live my life around food. Wake up and figure out what to eat for breakfast. And once I'm done, then I want to know what I'm doing for lunch and then dinner and then next day's breakfast. We call it foodism. <laughs> kind of like Buddhism, but mostly about food. That was a good one. I do what I can. That, was That's not, that wasn't my joke also. I stole it. <laughs> yeah. but um, I, And then also just I feel like our generation as um, kind of a whole, we've created almost this new like food culture that – as people on social media with Yelp, with Instagram, all these outlets, it's become like a thing, you know, to go out and to eat. And not only that, but we want to see what other people are eating and then we want to try it. And, you know, it's definitely something that isn't uh, present in our previous generation, although there is, you know, older people that are doing that now, but it hasn't happened until, you know, like the time that we're living in. Yeah, that's true. I think only, I mean, my friends and I only hang out to eat. What other point is there? Segway. <laughs> so, was, and I'll edit that. No. <laughs> I don't know. That was good. It's like segue into... Se- segway into... Segway. about food. Uh, if this were a YouTube video, we could have been on segways and said segway. Next time. One of these we, days. We have to go on one segway... Together? Yeah, like one segway, like... What is it? Not trip, but... Like, tour? The segway tour, yeah, tours? We go on one tour to get one picture... Can't we just buy a Segway for the church? Oh, God. No? That would be amazing. We can't use Segway money? I I mean, church money? It's still recording. Yeah. Okay. I'll edit it. Post. Post edit. All right, post edit. We can't. You can leave this in. We could, but we're not buying that Segway? I don't know. We'll we'll bring it up. How much do you think they are? Too much. Unjustifiably much. (laughs) For one YouTube video? I don't know about that. This is our future we're talking about. Maybe maybe our future careers. Not mine. Yours, but not mine. I do you think we could get someone to sponsor us for like an, an entire year's salary? Can we use Patreon? Does anyone is anyone a full time podcast person? I'm sure there are people that are full time podcast people. You well, got, I mean we're not gonna be full time podcast oh, yeah. people. You gotta be working hard. We are not that good at no. podcasting either. Um anyway, segue part two. <laughs> Segway back into <laughs> back into foodism. <laughs> um, so I think the first thing that I thought of when we were talking about food and Buddhism, I think Matt and I kind of have a process where we work on our notes separately and then come together and see what matches up. And this time, <laughs> nothing matched up. <laughs> so so we're gonna we're gonna work on it and yeah. see where that goes. We'll, we'll probably try to to cross reference a little earlier than right before. Yeah. We'll work on it. No. This whole podcasting thing is a work in progress for yes, us. We'll get it. Yeah. We'll get it in 50 years. <laughs> when podcasts are no longer a thing, <laughs> then we'll be good at it. <laughs> um, but for me, I think the first thing that I thought of when we decided food and Buddhism would be our next topic was um, using food as kind of a doorway to other cultures. Because I think that's something that is maybe more recent in my life because I have been interested in trying different foods. I think for a long time as a kid, 
I was really only eating plain udon mm. and chicken and tacos. But even trying different Asian foods is something that I'm trying to branch out on. But I think for us, and I mean, as people, and kind of Buddhism kind of teaches us this, is that we're all naturally jaded in our lives. And I think that food is a good doorway to other cultures. Because I think, um, I don't know, for me, it's always been like a starting point to understanding other cultures i guess and especially with our friends going out to eat all the time it's it's going to try something new and realizing oh we like this and it's something we can kind of all bond with and i think especially when you go and meet new people and you try foods of their culture and they can explain to you kind of the backstory behind those foods it kind of allows you to humanize them in a way and get to know them as well as eat which is what i am all about <laughs> all the time yeah. i'm I, I agree i'm also always hungry um <clears throat> and uh i think i was Lucky in the sense that my mom made me eat a bunch of different kinds of food mm. when I was a kid. So I grew up eating like the weird stuff uh, from Chinese restaurants. Uh, I would eat uh, Thai food. You know, she made Filipino food. We would get Indian food and you know, American food like lamb chops, stuff like that. Um, but I was I was lucky that my mom really brought us to all of these different places. So I was able to experience a lot of different kinds of food and cultures uh, very early on. But uh, going on to live my own life, I agree that the going out to eat food, it is the something that we all have in common. So that already puts you in the position to be uh, relating to different people, at least as, as far as similarities go. Uh, and of course, you can understand differences as well. But when you're eating, it puts you in this safe place, I think, to learn. Whenever we do something new, especially when we're in a different culture, it can be very uh, scary, very nerve-wracking. And also there's the opportunity for you to have a, a misstep or make someone upset. But if you go over and you eat food with someone, it's very safe because there isn't anything that you could do to really make anyone upset. I mean, obviously, you know, you can like spill something or, or eat something the wrong way, but them knowing that you are becoming accustomed to a certain kind of food or a culture, it allows you to have that kind of openness or vulnerability to be like, okay, I'll try this, you know, I'll see, or, you know, please let me know, you know, what's good or show me something. And it, it's also um, a chance for you to find something, like you're saying, that you could really like, you know, that's, that's like the best, best case scenario that you could like something and, you know, worst case scenario, you, you don't like something, but at the same time, you're still able to get something out of it. You can still learn something about that culture. Yeah. And I think, you know, even looking at Japanese food, um, there's a lot of influences from other cultures and Matt and I were talking about, you know, eating ramen and how noodles themselves kind of come from China, which I'm sure came from somewhere else before <laughs> but it, it's interesting because we think of ramen as a very japanese food right and it's associated only with japan really but then you go back a little bit further and you realize oh there it's a chinese-based noodle and like a soup and then you go back even further and it's something different but even kind of 
comparing noodle dishes is something we think is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even uh, someplace like uh, Italy, right, where they have a lot of pasta, a lot of different kinds of noodles, and there probably wasn't too much. Uh, really of the cultural crossover between like China and Japan and Italy, but they both still came up with this idea of, you know, long flowery egg like things that ended up being noodles. And so for them to both do that, there is that kind of level of similarity that they can uh, connect over. People can talk about it and they can really uh, even emphasize the differences in it and, by looking at the differences, you start to understand and appreciate your own culture even more, right? Because, you know, maybe you like something about the other one, maybe you don't like something, but when you look at it through those lenses, then you start to reflect on your own culture. And like in this specific uh, example, you look at your own noodles and you know how much you really like them or don't like them. And so you have that appreciation, not just of other people, but of yours as well. Okay. I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, so I was watching a Netflix show called Ugly Delicious, okay. and in the last episode, oh, spoiler alert! Spo- okay. If you if you're watching the series, don't. Well, I mean, what if I want to watch the series? I don't care what okay, you. Right. I don't. I don't really care if you watch it or not. You're not going to. And if you do, it'll be a year later, and it'll be too late, and you've already forgotten about this. All right. Um. So, what do you consider a dumpling? Like, what is <clears throat> what makes up okay. a dumpling? So. My understanding of what a dumpling is, is the flour mixture that's dropped into a soup. Okay. So is gyoza not a dumpling? To me, gyoza is not a dumpling. However, I realize that that's the only way that other people can put a name to stuff. Mm. So it's the same thing as like um, okonomiyaki in Japanese. Mm -hmm. What is that in English? Because like it's either pancake or pizza and both of them are wrong. Panza. No? Is that, not, is that how that works? Piz cake? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, a piz cake. Okay, so so then what about soup dumplings? Because those aren't technically dropped into a broth. Right, right. So, you, I mean, like, the, the whole idea of what a dumpling is is, like, some kind of, like, flour that's been, I guess, in boiled or, like, steamed in some way or something. Right, right. right. So, then so then does that make ravioli a dumpling? You're right. That if gyoza is a dumpling, then ravioli should be a dumpling. Yeah. Actually, ravioli is more of a dumpling because you have to boil it. Oh, that's true. Well, I mean, you could boil. Oh, no, that'd be gross. Yeah, you could. No, you could do it in nabi. It's good. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so I think <laughs> going back to what you were saying earlier is just that you know all these cultures have what they consider their own dish. Yeah. But it, the. the similarity is that it's some kind of flour wrapping with some kind of meat or vegetable on the inside and it's cooked and then whatever you sauce it with is different traditionally dumplings like the american dumplings don't have anything in them it's just like dropped into the soup so you have like chicken and dumplings Mm. and it's Mm -hmm. kind of like uh i guess drop biscuits but instead of being baked they're just boiled boiled. yeah Yeah. that's true yeah Hmm. interesting but yeah i don't know i like them all They're all good. Yeah, you are the least picky eater out of anybody I know. <laughs> but yeah, I think but I think that's the point that I'm trying to make maybe is that um you know, this is all kind of a doorway into another culture mm-hmm. that we can use the foods that we like in our own culture and kind of learn about them and then see how they're related to other cultures. And I think that's something that's kind of helped me uh growing up and trying new foods now is mm-hmm. that um Japanese food 
is kind of weird in general. I think I mean besides the you know curry rice or chicken teriyaki, that stuff is pretty basic. But some of the other stuff like natto, not my favorite. But I'm like, well, natto is pretty gross, so I could pretty much try anything else, <laughs> and it would probably be okay. Yeah. It's true, and it's funny that the, the, the two things you picked out as like basic aren't even really Japanese. Like, curry doesn't originate from from Japan. Mm. Although, like from my studies in Japan and learning about Japanese people and culture, apparently curry is like one of the most eaten things because traditionally Japanese food is pretty bland. Yeah, and like curry has a lot of flavor, so people like that. Yeah, um, and then the other thing, teriyaki chicken. I mean, like it's based in kind of a Japanese kind of sauce, mm-hmm. the tare, mm-hmm. but it's like a Japanese American. Thing, right, right, right. So it, it's kind of funny that you know we we know curry, we know teriyaki chicken, and we we think of them as Japanese food, just like ramen, right? For whatever yeah. reason, Japanese food is like capitalized on these other cultures. <laughs> yeah, they've like made it all their own, and we pay money to like buy it from Japanese places. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just it was just kind of funny to me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess you can kind of see all the like how it's all interconnected at the end of the day. Right, <laughs> like right. all our all our food that we know is Japanese is not Japanese really. <laughs> yeah, except for like sushi, which is really just fish and rice. Yeah, but a lot of people think of sushi as sushi rolls and that's uh, that's also that's American. True. That's very true. Which is sukumono? Is that I don't even know if that's really cuz pickling stuff. is pickling is probably from China too, I would think. Well, I don't know that you learn to pickle on your own. I don't know how you pick that up. Any of these things, like the first person who decided to deep fry something, like who, like how thought about? Yeah, that? why would you use oil instead of yeah. water? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so I was reading this article about um, sharing food, and I think, and I think for me, um, sharing food is most closely related to maybe like Chinese culture mm-hmm. because you go to Chinese restaurants and. You don't order things for yourself necessarily. It's you order it for the table and then it's put on the lazy Susan, mm-hmm. right? So um, I was reading this article called How Sharing Food Makes You a Better Person by Mandy Oaklander. She's a Times Health editor. But she was interviewing, or maybe not interviewing, but talking to uh, Charlotte DeBacker from Antwerp University. And she was saying that sharing food primes people to think about fairness, authority, and greed. And for me, I saw that and I was, I had a deep contemplation about how I eat food Hmm. especially family style food. And it kind of all made sense to me (laughs) because I think going to Chinese restaurants, the plate, can be put down anywhere and it could be on the opposite side of you and that lazy susan has to make its way all the way to you before you can get any so you start thinking about that as you get older and then i know for me now um when the food gets put in front of me i think oh i better take just a little bit so that everybody can get some so that by the time it gets back to me i can have (laughs) a second helping of it but I think that's the thing is it kind of share, sharing food in that family style environment is helpful to create a selflessness knowing that and just being able to directly see them across the table and seeing their face when you took the last shrimp and they didn't get it. 
it's it just makes it more real of a concept. There definitely is um, <clears throat> that aspect of being able to see something. And it just made me think of like social media and the bullying that we have on there because it's so easy to be mean to people because you don't have to deal with the consequences. You can write a comment on someone's picture and be like, oh, yeah, you're fat and ugly. And you never have to see them like mm-hmm. you, you know, you have your expression. But if you were to do that to someone in person, then you see them be sad, be them upset or, or you know, be angry. And you have to like deal with that because you're you're right there with them. So like it, it takes away from it. Although it's funny, another thing that I was thinking of when you brought that up was like the dynamics of a playground where if you bring your lunch to school, I, you know, I would bring stuff to school and I always didn't love it. But these other kids, they had the cool, the Lunchables or like Golgurd <laughs> something. And, and I wanted to like trade with them. So I, I would just be interested in how that would like relate to our uh, relationships to people if that's like our understanding where you know I gotta barter like with my mm. not so good stuff to get better stuff and how that makes your relationships with people later on in life but it's absolutely true uh, with the Lazy Susan and the, the Chinese food I know when I was um, younger uh, there was <clears throat> excuse me when I was when I was younger I, I used to love the honey walnut shrimp and like I still I still like it but I just don't like it as much because I can't eat as much like really sweet things anymore um, but when when uh, they put that down, because it's kind of this like high tone dish, there's not a lot of shrimp on there, so you really mm. are like counting. Yeah, each person on their table. There's 16 people at this table. There's 14 <laughs> shrimps and 12 walnuts. Someone's mm. only getting one shrimp, <laughs> and someone's only getting a walnut. Yeah. And so like, I I <clears throat> I totally um, relate to that situation as well. Uh, but I think there's definitely something that has to happen to people. There has to be like a switch that gets flicked on or something in order to make that jump into being selfless. Because I could also see it being put the other way with like if you have maybe a lot of boys in your family, uh, notoriously boys, you know, not to like single and single out a gender or something, but they eat a lot and they eat quickly and when it comes to all eating together, it's kind of like a race. So if you're out with like, and this is kind of how it was with my, my high school buddies, but when we'd go out, we would eat a ton and we'd eat real quick. So like if we were to do something family style, then you got to just pile it on your plate and eat it. Because if you don't eat it, someone else is going to eat it. And then you don't get what you want. And either you could order another one, but usually you don't. So like I, there definitely is something about uh, the person too that there has to be like this conscious effort to think about the other person. Because you could eat you know take off the stuff from the lazy susan see the other person that didn't get it and they know they're sad and just be like ha, i got it and you didn't that's why, <laughs> why you're sad and i'm not i am quite happy with this meal that i'm eating <laughs> yeah but that's something that comes maybe from being a child right yeah because i know i was probably like that as a kid and i kind of vaguely remember my parents scolding me yeah and saying, oh, you need to give some to other people. You can't just right. eat it all yourself. Because right. that chow mein, oh, that was not making it around the table if it was at me first. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And there's that's very important that your parents are there to be kind of your moral compass to help you uh, get that kind of understanding to think about other people. So whereas maybe it isn't the food itself that teaches you, it's a great medium, a great way to mm. use that uh, to teach about the sharing. I, I, that reminded me of a story of that I actually don't remember, but is told to me by one of my um, aunties. She's not actually an auntie, but you know we call all of our 
our, our parents' friends, yeah. our aunties, right? So then uh, she knew that I loved deep fried fish. So what we'd go, we go to like the Asian mart and you pick out the fish and then they deep fry it for you there mm-hmm. and it comes in the foil and you bring it home. So uh, she made that uh, for me because I was there, but it was for everyone, right? So she made it because she knew I was coming for everyone. And she, she takes it out and then she puts it on the table that everyone is sitting around and the child that I am, I just take it and pull it in front of me and start eating it. <laughs> But she did say like, "Oh, you you don't you don't want to share with everyone." And I apparently I was like, "Oh, okay." And like I pushed it back. But like the initial reaction was like, "This is mine like, for, for me, yeah. only me." <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think something interesting in like Japanese American culture mm. is to not ever be the person to take the last of oh, yeah. anything. Yeah. So there's always a little bit of something left, and that's something that I think we learn too as kids is just oh you need to (laughs) don't be that jerk that takes the last of it right you need to save some for everyone right and it's just kind of keep taking half (laughs) keep taking half until there's a crumb left and then you're like uh maybe i'll just eat it who are we really saving at this point (laughs) yeah now it's just become a burden on our lives but that's something too right is the sharing yeah. and always thinking, trying to think about the next person and right. did everybody at this table or at this party get to sample this? Right. And if they didn't, I better leave some so that, right. so that I don't come up to them and be like, Hey, do you have any of that clam dip earlier? It was delicious. I had like eight helpings of it. <laughs> oh, I, I tried and it was all gone. My bad. <laughs> yeah. There's, it's funny. I don't think it would ever work out to have like a Japanese buffet because none of the trays would be cleared because everyone would always. You would have always just left. have a little bit old food left <laughs> yeah. in the trays. That's right. Uh, but it, yeah, if we go to like a, a New Year's party or something, you'll see like people bring the sushi trays. There's always one left, and no one wants mm-hmm. to take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I've kind of become more bold, I guess. But I, if we're sitting together in like family style, I will ask everyone, which you know, I've because I'll ask because I was scolded after taking the last one. Like you have to ask everyone first if they had it, and if everyone says it's okay, then you can eat it. That's true. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. All right. Well, go ahead. You are you out? I mean, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, also, one of the things, well, let's see, as Japanese Americans, we trace the, a lot of culture aspects from Japan. And I think that the way that Japanese people view food is very interesting. And I, I personally, through like my research, very, very, very limited research, think that it has to do with it because of the huge role that rice played in Japan. So rice is held uh, in very high esteem. You want to respect rice. It's very important. And if you ask, uh, especially like the older generations, they, they're very um, ad- adamant about how important rice is. And this is because uh, for a long time, Japan didn't really have a currency. And instead, they used rice. So taxes were paid to the lords in rice and the same thing like uh how it was distributed to people. And so that was that unit of how much you worked. Whereas now we have, you know, dollars and cents, this um, money, paper money, coin money, and that is a representation of the hours that we worked, right? You work so hard at such and such job, you get so much money for it. But back in the day, 
uh, in Japan, you worked so hard and you got so much rice for it. So imagine, you know, if you just got paid in rice, if you were finishing up your dinner, are you really going to throw that rice away? Then you are literally throwing away like dollars down down into the garbage. So you would eat all of that. You wouldn't waste anything because that you could physically see, you know, your hard work um, in that. So um, <clears throat> because of that, I feel like there's this understanding of food and how important food is because it extends not just to rice, but everything in general. That's where maybe this idea of motainai and how it so strongly relates to food. Because in, you know, in Japan, you can say a lot of different things with motainai. Like um, I remember one of my friends had told me when I was uh, in Japan and I was not really maybe studying as hard as I could have. And she said, you know, motainai, like you're really good at language. You should try harder. And she was right. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't. <laughs> but I, I know, at least in the Japanese culture, it's always motainai when there's, you know, when it's food. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's, you have something left on your plate? Motainai. And, and I think there's that real, real strong connection to food, uh, both because of the rice thing, the value of it, and also, um, you know, the generation and the dealing with the, the war and the Great Depression that you wanted to save everything, keep everything, eat everything, because you never know when the next meal you're going to have. You know, it wasn't, we weren't living in a time of, abundance like we are now everything's Mm -hmm. so cheap you can go to taco bell get the one dollar triple meat it's real good it's a lot of food for one dollar taco bell sponsor us (laughs) we're looking for sponsors taco bell if you're listening but the so that just that idea of not wanting to waste anything and really understanding the value of stuff um, very importantly food i think is one thing that we can take away from that relationship of the japanese people and rice and food in general yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. But I also think that, you know, in Japanese American culture, that motainai has taken a maybe a different mm. um definite or meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times now people are like, Oh, motainai because that person put so much effort into making this food for you. Like especially oh, when you go to uh what are they called? Potlucks. Oh, yeah. Right? Because you'll take a whole bunch of food because right. you want to try everything. And then you have some stuff left on your plate. It's like, oh, motainai. Somebody somebody worked really hard to eat or to make that for yeah. you, so you better eat it right. kind of thing. And I think people do that more so with children rather than other adults. Because other adults, it's like, motainai, you're wasting it. <laughs> when oh. somebody else could have eaten it. Right. Yeah. Although I don't know if you've heard that Obon song, motainai. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know. Not, not a fan? Um, it's not my favorite Obon song. Calling you out, Senshin. We're calling you out. <laughs> it's It was well... I, it was well... Intentioned? Meaning, yeah. yeah. They, they meant well, and, you know, they put a lot of effort into it, and it's, you know... I think, if anything, I dislike it because of because of how catchy it is. Because <laughs> one of those songs that gets stuck in your head. And, like, you know, like a Justin Bieber song. Right, right. So yeah. it's like, there's nothing against Justin Bieber, but I just don't want his song stuck in my head. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, but I think even to go along with motainai is kind of the idea of itadakimasu. Mm-hmm. When we first start eating and kind of like to itadaku, like humbly receive right. in general is something that we kind of talk about too, right? Mm-hmm. As as a Japanese culture and as a Japanese-American culture. I think for us, so more so, for the longest time, I never knew what itadakimasu meant. Right. And we always just say it before... We eat right. like oh, namo and abutsu, itadakimasu. Right. 
but I never really understood why the, why we said or why we said those two things in conjunction with each other. Right. But um, you know, learning Japanese and learning like to itadaku is to humbly receive something is kind of taken itadakimas and made it more of a relatable and like grasp graspable. Mm-hmm. Is understandable. That an, yeah, yeah, more understandable, I guess, for me, because I think it. I think it's a good reminder to ourselves to think about where our food came from, mm-hmm. and the same thing with motainai. It's who prepared this, right? And how much work did they put into it, and right. where did this food come from? I know me being uh, right out of high school, I started working at um, one of our temple members. Um, Japanese restaurants and I started making sushi there and you know being on that side of the restaurant experience is completely different from going and just being a patron and paying to get food Mm -hmm. it's a lot of hard work and you know now I go to these restaurants and I'm always very vigilant of what's going on Mm -hmm. I I'm like oh god there's like 50 people here (laughs) That poor one server has 50 people they have to take care of, and they're all ordering a dish and appetizers. That poor kitchen, yeah. that those poor people. <laughs> and I think, you know, when I think of Itadakimasu, that's something that comes to mind always is just to think about who prepared this. It was the people that I don't even see face to face. My server brings it out to me, but there's cooks in the kitchen that make it. Mm -hmm. And of course that you can go deeper and deeper in that. Like where did these ingredients come from and Mm -hmm. things like that? Uh, Personally, I am not that reflective on those kind of things, (laughs) but I do think about, you know, where all this or where all this effort came in to put this food in front of me. So for me, I think, Itadakimas takes on a greater meaning of empathy mm-hmm. and compassion and understanding for everyone that has taken a part in making my meal. And even if it's something that I didn't end up liking, it's somebody back there put at least a little bit of effort into making it. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, for me too, <laughs> I because of all that, I always tip 20%. Yeah. So like it's... It's true. When you're able to be on that other side, you're able to have more of an understanding. And within Buddhism, we're always trying to have a greater understanding of just like the world in general. And so as far as food goes, having a more understanding of your food, how it was prepared, where it came from, that is a very mindful and you know Buddhist way of understanding it. When you think of Buddhists, and what they eat, a lot of people think of vegetarianism. And the original Buddha actually wasn't a vegetarian. Um, He was a beggar, uh, as well as his followers. They were beggars. They would go from place to place begging for food, and whatever was given to them, they were supposed to eat. So whether it was vegetables or, or meat, it didn't matter. The only thing they couldn't really eat was if something was killed specifically for them. So in that way, they were taking part in that death of the animal, so they didn't want to do that. <clears throat> it actually got to the point, and this is kind of a gross story, but there's a story of the Buddha going to a leper colony, and like the lepers are giving him food, and one of the lepers, their finger actually falls off into his bowl, and he ate that too. 
Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But like the point of the story is that whatever is given, they're supposed to be very grateful and eat it no matter what it is. You know, even though it's leftovers, even though it's stuff that is almost going bad, whatever it is, they're supposed to be very grateful for it regardless because there is that life, there is that effort, all that stuff that goes into it. Uh, vegetarianism doesn't show up in Buddhism until it goes to China. And then they have these self-sufficient monasteries because the Buddha and his followers were all traveling. They never really stayed in one place for too long. Sometimes they would have to because of the monsoon season. But it's really in China when you start seeing these self-sufficient um, <clears throat> these self-sufficient monasteries. And because they couldn't take the life of animals, they would grow vegetables. And so they had these vegetables that they could grow, they could eat for themselves. Also because China wasn't a society that really uh, looked kindly on beggars or begging not that you know people were in love with the idea but it just wasn't as socially acceptable in china as it was in india so they had to find another means of uh, being able to feed and sustain themselves <clears throat> so uh anyway with this idea of buddhism being grateful for what you're eating understanding the life that you're taking one thing uh, that becomes important is not just uh, what it is that you're eating, but where you're getting it from. And so to be mindful, not just of the food, because I think there is this idea of mindful eating that has become kind of trendy. And that's to like not say anything, uh, to really focus yourself on the uh, food itself, like the textures and the tastes. And that's not really mindful eating. Mindful eating would be more like mindful grocery shopping, where you understand where your food is coming from. You understand that the, the amount of effort, the conditions that the people were working under, all of these things are, are a decision that you're making to be a part of, to perpetuate. And so to have that kind of insight, or at least trying to have that kind of insight, is very important. Vegetarianism itself is not so much a Buddhist rule, but it is a conversation to be had. It is a Buddhist issue that we have to be um, constantly thinking about what it is that we're eating. And, you know, like Matt was saying, we're not always thinking about it. It's impossible for us for, to, to just sit and think about where each individual grain of rice or tomato or, you know, piece of flour from which wheat. Like, it, we can't do that all the time. Otherwise, we'd just be sitting, researching, and thinking, like, all of our time. We wouldn't have time for anything else. And then Matt would come and just eat your food. <laughs> If, hey, if it's getting cold, it's a multi-night. So. He'll ask first. Don't worry. <laughs> but there is, there is that idea that um, we should be uh, thinking about it. Uh, one thing that came up for me that I thought was really interesting, I read it on um, one of the websites, so I can't take credit for this, uh, under, uh, this question, but this idea of who would be a better Buddhist, someone who was very selfish, dishonorable, and mean, but they were strictly vegetarian, Versus someone who ate meat but was very thoughtful of others, generous and honest. And of course, the answer is the person who is very thoughtful, right? That's the person who would be uh, a better uh, Buddhist. And it's a lot easier to change your diet than to change your heart. Like you can choose to eat only certain things. You can have whatever, like just watermelons for the rest of your life. And then like, you know, you're, you can claim that you're not taking any more uh, life from other beings. But... Are you really being a better person? Are you doing it for the right reasons? Or are you doing it for the sake of doing it so that you can look good? Oh, was that me? Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't really have. I gotta. I gotta contemplate that question some more, man. 
No, because I'm not a mindful eater. That's the problem. I try to be. I'm just, you know, it's, the food gets in front of me and I'm like, that looks delicious. It's, I'm going to scarf that thing down. And it's really hard to be mindful when you're hungry. Oh, yeah. I get I get pretty hangry. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah so you're not fun to be around. It's, it's the same thing. Like, you don't want to meditate when you're sleepy because you won't be able to do it. You're just going to sleep. That's deep meditation. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so that it, you're absolutely right that it's impossible for us to do it all the time. It's hard for us to do it even some of the time. And it's hard for us to do it even when uh, we're hungry. So it's trying to find those opportunities when we can think about, wow, you know, this food, it came from somewhere. Someone worked hard to do it. And it's just a matter of working that into our lives when we can. Hopefully it becomes uh, a habit. And once it becomes a habit, then we don't have to think about it anymore. But any kind of practice that we're doing within Buddhism, that's something that we have to constantly be vigilant about because our minds are constantly drifting away from it. Yeah. You know, we talked about a lot about eating food, but what do you think about preparing food for other people? For other does that, people? Yeah. Does that take a different, I don't know, perspective on Buddhism for you? Uh, yeah. Um, so I was kind of thinking to myself about how uh, – preparing food when I prepare food for people that I care about or I you know I really love or something then I make that kind of extra effort not that I when I don't when I make food for people that I don't care about he's I'm just like, cooking you top ramen whatever <laughs> you're just getting that top ramen but his family comes over that's real ramen he's he's cooking that broth three days in advance <laughs> So there's that there's that idea that we want uh, we want it to be good for them. And whenever I bring out the dish and I, I watch them eat it, you know, I'm kind of like staring at them, <laughs> and I, I'm waiting in, in just anticipation, like so so how was it? How was it? Could how could I could I have done it better? And they're like, oh, it's good. And I never believe anyone because you know they're they're like lying. But, yeah. Because uh, they're Asian. Yeah. Because they're Asian, and they're gonna tell you, oh, it was good, and then they go home. Matt really put a lot of salt in that broth, didn't he? <laughs> It's not good, and and so it's it's tough because uh, I um, I want to do the best, but you never really know how it's going to be. But I I try to reflect on myself and when other people make food for me, and I really appreciate it how much I love it. It always seems like when someone else makes you food, it tastes better. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I make myself like a grilled cheese, like, it'll oh, be man. like I mean it, it tastes like cheese and bread, but then if someone else gets it, it's like oh this is like the best thing ever. So that, that same recipe. <laughs> Exact same. But the, the thing is about how when other people do it for you and you get that good feeling, I want to personally give that feeling to other people. So mm. I try really hard to be mindful about how good things taste and I want it to be perfect. So um, I think, like you said, with the, the restaurant and everything, being on the other side of it, it gives you that appreciation for, you know, if I try recipe two or three times before I get it right so I can give it to somebody, you know, a week later – than thinking when I eat something someone else made and think, you know, how, how much effort they put into this to get it right. It makes you appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. I was thinking that I've taken on this role, not purposefully, but becoming a little bit more Japanese wife. Yeah. Where I like, I really like cooking in general. Yeah. So for me, and my girlfriend, I like to cook most of the time. Right. But a lot of times, like, when I'm with her at her apartment, we'll all eat together with her friends and stuff and her roommates. So when we do things like sukiyaki or udon or ramen or something, that I'll cook it all. And then 
I'll be that person that's standing up like, oh, you need to eat more. Here, try this. You take a little bit of this. Oh, do we need more broth? I'll, I'll get some more. And then you realize, huh, I didn't I didn't really I didn't eat yeah. at all. But I think that's good. Yeah. And I think it's something that's very I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but I think it's more Buddhistic and kind of unconsciously Buddhistic because we're trying to make sure that everybody else gets what they need to and then whatever kind of is left over is enough for me and then kind of that feeling of giving yeah. is is important there's definitely something like buddhistically poetic about forgetting yourself mm-hmm. right like to to let go of yourself so much that you forget to eat that you're constantly thinking about other people there definitely is that buddhist aspect of it where you know we're constantly worried about our ego and what what we're doing for ourselves but to lose yourself and trying to make other people happy i definitely think is very buddhistic i don't know i I, i'm kind of similar like i i like to cook Uh, my wife likes to cook so we like to be in the kitchen together and like it's fun when we do it together but i also um enjoy cooking for other people and one of the things like i like to do is to be out like on the grill you know like flipping hamburgers or hot dogs i if anything it's kind of like like a meditation or like therapeutic for me. That sizzle just really puts you in the zone. (laughs) So, but I'll I'll be the same way and I'll forget about myself. I'll just be like cranking out, you know, the burgers and stuff and giving other people. And then at the end I'll be like, Oh, I'm kind of, kind of hungry. (laughs) I should have had a burger. (laughs) And then you realize all the patties are gone, (laughs) but there's four buns left over. Guess I'm having a grilled cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I just, I'm conscious of that now, I think, yeah. that to the point where uh, when we go out to eat and other people feel like they need to serve me and not eat, it's like, no, 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 no. I can get it myself. Don't worry. Yeah. Please eat too. Like, let's all share in this moment right. of of bliss. Yeah. <laughs> it's all we came here for is to eat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've come to the realization that I only have friends because we like to eat together. And we like the same kinds of foods. Yeah. So, you know, going out and getting to try restaurants that we've never been to, whether they're good or bad, is always a fun experience. And then I know going out sometimes is a crapshoot no matter where you go. But yeah. that but the experience itself is kind of rewarding, yeah. I guess. Cause even I mean, we've gone to so many bad places where we were just kinda like Mm, I'm still hungry or yeah, I won't be going back there. The food wasn't very good, but I mean, I got to go out with my friends and that's what really matters at the end of the day, I think. Yeah. And my, uh, my high school Dharma school teacher, she actually, um, told us cause we would go out to the junior Y conferences. Right. And you know, sometimes experience would be fun. Cars would be fun. Well put together. And the dance was good. DJ was good. We had a great time, but sometimes it's all over the place. They don't know what they're doing. You know, DJ's terrible. Uh, and DJ terrible? Yeah. D- D- DJ terrible. The DJ's terrible. Yeah. No, no, no. DJ terrible. <laughs> no? I don't know. If, there, if there's a DJ terrible, that'd be... We, we better poor, book very poor we better, Chase. We better book him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we better do. So, like, but when you have that negative experience and you share it with other people, it actually becomes this bonding experience. Yeah. That you can, like, look mm-hmm. back and be like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. 
like, do you remember that conference that we went to? It was so bad. I know it was so bad. So you have that shared experience which actually can bring you closer. You know, whereas maybe for like a really good conference, yeah, maybe you could remember it, but you were having fun on your own, so you didn't really need, you know, the other people. I mean, obviously it's more fun with other people, but, you know, to have that kind of shared experience also can be something which, you know, relates to these restaurants where you can think about, oh man, yeah, that one restaurant I went to was so bad, but, you know, you all went there together, and so you were kind of getting through that pain uh, as, as a group, and so you, you can bond uh, even stronger over friendship with, like, these bad restaurants. Speaking of pain as a group... <laughs> One time, one time, me and my friends went out. I think it was after one of the uh, college seminars or something. Uh, we <laughs> went out to this like seafood place, and everybody got food poisoning. Oh man! Everybody's texting each other like, "Oh, did you get food poisoning? I got food poisoning." It's just <laughs> the worst. But you look back at those things, and I mean, at the time it was terrible, but now it's it's so funny. Just. Yeah. How did we all get food poisoning? Right. Why did we all feel that way? Yeah. I was texting you while I was on the toilet, and they were texting me while their face was in the toilet. Yeah. 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 No, I, I have a similar similar story to that one. Yeah, where like me and a bunch of friends went to this one place, and it was like, um, uh, oh, it was gluten free. So like, Lan- Lanny was there. So yeah. Was, because one of our friends was um, gluten free. We went to this southern restaurant that had gluten-free cornbread, I believe. And so, like, the other stuff was, like, gluten-free. And it was good. Like, it was awesome. But then, you know, I go back, uh, go back, leave the Bay Area. Other friend goes back. And then, like, we're kind of, and we start, like, testing each other, like, yo, the bathroom smells so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yo, you too? Like, so we were just, you know, talking back and forth about how bad and our significant others are, like, complaining about how bad everything, like, the house. So, like, something died in the air vents. Yeah, must have been a rat or something. <laughs> that couldn't have been me. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think that food has become such a bonding experience for yeah. everyone. And it kind of shows how, I don't know, interconnected we all are because we love to go out to eat. Mm-hmm. And even like you were saying before, like with social media, it's so apparent. Like there are food blogs. Yeah. And people go on those food blogs and yeah, I should go to this place or this place. And you hear about, I don't know, you hear about a boba shop through a friend of a friend because they like their picture and it came up on your suggested page. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm going there. It's just so interesting now. And even, I don't know, Instagram blogs are so interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, Instagram's about food mm-hmm. because they post these pictures. And I'm, and I'm looking at them, I'm like, my food did not look like that when <laughs> I went there. What did you do? To- Photoshop. Like, yeah. Well, but it's interesting too, because it's kind of create, it creates such a smaller world, I think. Yeah. Because you're seeing all these places and you're seeing these people you don't know or celebrities or I don't know, Instagram famous people, social media famous people. Going to the same places you love to go to now. Right, right, right. There's definitely that connection that you have with all of these different people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously there's some restaurants that, oh, it's in Paris or something. Or, oh, it's, you know, whatever, four stars in 
or rather, I don't know, the star Michelin thing, but it's four dollar signs. If we put it that way, on you hope that doesn't make it good. That just makes it expensive. No, exactly. But if it's it's one of those things where there's kind of a disconnect because it's like, oh, I'm not going there. Whereas mm-hmm. like someone who has more money is. But you're you're absolutely right that you can see these certain places that anyone can go to, right? Mm-hmm. And and they all love it. And so you have that connection with them where, oh yeah, this celebrity checked into this restaurant because it's you know super good, but it was only like you know, this hole in the wall, but I can go there too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There is that, that connection. Like you said, I thought that was a great term, you know, making it a smaller world. Yeah. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe food will change the world. Maybe one day we'll just all eat the same food and it'll be some kind of liquid gel some thing. Gruel, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think we're running out of space on the planet <laughs> to be planting food and raising animals just for meat. That's a tightly di- entirely different issue, though. Yeah, that is, that is another podcast. Yeah, maybe not our podcast. <laughs> maybe find another podcast for that. I don't think we can... We're, we don't do enough research yeah. to go into a any kind of well-thought-out, uh, I don't know, solutions to <laughs> overpopulation <laughs> or food, anything. But, yeah, I don't know. I think food is just such a great starting point to for any kind of learning experience in culture or i mean i learned so much about japanese food that i never knew oh yeah i mean even like all the different kinds of um tsukamono uh-huh. that there is it's just like i thought there was only cutie <laughs> but no i always forget like takwan even even Fuji just the Fuji. ginger you get with yeah, what is it shoga yeah. shoga yeah, yeah yeah even that is is a tsukamono right. and i mean yeah. i don't know just beyond me. But yeah, there is just a whole lot to, to know, to learn yeah. about food. There's just so much out there. Maybe we need to become chefs and not podcasters. I'd be totally down to be a chef. Yeah, then we'd have to start some kind of YouTube channel. That'd be <laughs> just as hard as podcasting. I don't know. They see that movie Chef. They just Twitter. Twitter and a food truck. We can't afford a food truck. We can't even afford a Segway. We already <laughs> talked about this. One day. Segway food truck? How, how do you cook? Carry the griddle on the back of the food? On the Segway? Oh. Oh. oh! We're doing it. Don't take our ideas. Or do. Whatever. Patent pending. Yeah. Yeah. But do you got anything else? Um, I think I had something when I forgot it. You could add more time. You think we should add more? Maybe. I don't know. What were you talking about? The food and the... Uh, hold on. I did have something somewhere about something. I'm still recording all of this. I just realized that. I didn't stop it. Oh, well. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, I We probably unintentionally have alienated a couple people because not everyone appreciates food like uh, we do. I, I think that there are some people that exist that eat simply to survive and they don't eat to enjoy the food. And I feel, I don't know, I, I feel like it's not my place to pity them, but I kind of do like for them not to be able to enjoy food. Cause like, what is life? We build our lives around the amazing experiences that we have eating food. If that was 
absent in our lives. Like, I don't know what I would do. I don't know where I would get my enjoyment, but people like that exist. And so, you know, sorry to all those people if we were talking about stuff that you understand and, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to express any of this to you, but you probably stopped listening to this podcast because you understood that it was about food and you have no care about it. But you basically, you basically alienated half our viewership. (laughs) Did you, do you know anybody like that? Uh, I know all my friends are, they're all foodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, no. All my friends love food. Maybe that's why they're my friends though. Right. Probably. Yeah. It's probably like a chicken egg thing. Yeah. I mean, there are friends that I have that don't enjoy certain kinds of foods, but that's totally different than yeah. enjoying food itself. Right. Actually, we really enjoy dessert. Yeah. Aren't you a dessert guy? Oh, yeah. I have a huge sweet tooth. And I know earlier I said that I can't eat, like, a lot of sweet stuff, but it's the... That's a lie. That's what that was. <laughs> it's the level of sweetness. So, like, I can't eat, like, hard candy is hard for me to eat because it's so sweet because it's, like, just sugar. Mm. But, like, a tiramisu cake, I could eat a ton of it because it's not, like, super sweet. But it is like a sweet dish. That's disgusting. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love dessert. I what was it? I eat dessert like it's my birthday. Every day. Every day. Every day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. When I go to like weddings or buffets and stuff, like I love piling all the different kinds of desserts because I like I like all desserts. I'm very non-discriminative with just about all food in general, but especially with dessert. Like I really like all the different kinds of dessert. Yeah. I don't really like dessert that much. You like dessert way more than I do. But I do like going and to like to bakeries. Oh yeah. Because I'm terrible at baking. Oh. So I have like this affinity and deep appreciation for anybody that can bake a really good cookie. Oh. I'm so bad at it. Yeah. I don't know why. I think it's because I don't like following directions. Yes. Baking is one of those things that you can't halfway through the cookie process be like, oh, I guess I should add something. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, no, I forgot the baking powder. I better add that in. No, but I think that's <laughs> that's a very uh, Buddhist thing, too, is to know what you can and can't do. Yeah. But also have a deep appreciation for people who can do those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we all have our own physical limitations, not just within the, the kitchen, but in every aspect of our life. And to reflect on yourself and recognize that we have those limitations. It doesn't mean you ever stop uh, trying or working at it, but rather to appreciate the fact that as human beings, we're all imperfect and we do have these limits and we're good as we are, but there's other people who have different strengths and to appreciate their strengths and weaknesses as well. Yeah. I guess the last thing that I have to talk about is when I die. Yeah. I, I think our friends kind of talk about our funerals sometimes and yeah. we're planning them out. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on what song I want. I'm oh. thinking, I'm thinking in Lumbini's garden, kind of the devil's advocate, but I'm thinking for, a wait, tr- wait, you're going to, you're going to yeah, yeah. the Buddha's birth song yes. for your death. Yes, exactly. Oh. It's a little ironic, ironic twist on my funeral maybe, but I was thinking about Otoki's, and how <laughs> there's always so much food at Otoki. Yeah. But a lot of times the family itself doesn't prepare anything. Right. And I think that's kind of a very beautiful thing, mm. I guess. Because it's kind of all the friends. It's kind of like all the friends in the family and the extended family are being very conscientious of the loss of this family mm-hmm. and their direct blood, I mm-hmm. guess. And... 
you know, bringing all this food to them and kind of coming together as a community is just very amazing. So I'm hoping that for my otoki, I might set aside some money to go to some nice buffet so that everybody can get exactly what they want. Oh. And I'm thinking I'm going first because I eat the unhealthiest out of all my friends. <laughs> so it's going to be like, oh, everyone's going to go to the casino and you can either spend your money to go gamble or you could go to the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. It's well. The funny thing is, is like uh, we can all have these plans and stuff, but once you're dead, you really have no control over anything. Oh, it's gonna be my will. Oh. <laughs> they don't get the money unless they go to. <laughs> so they go and eat at a buffet. All right. Yeah, that's that was kind of grim. But... A good place to end this podcast. Then <laughs> you're welcome. Hey. Life is life. My life is impermanent. That it is. Something, something like that. Some kind of insert Buddhist teaching here about impermanence and food. That's all. That's all, all right. I got. Okay. Yeah, I think that's good. All right. So, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Thanks for listening to the Welcome Mats podcast. Catch us in a couple weeks again. Uh, that's Reverend Matt. You can find him at his handle which he's still working on i'm regular matt you can find me at the underscore mattinator on all platforms uh you can email us at um what was it i don't know sack something church oh oh welcome matt's pod at gmail.com there you go yeah please email us suggestions because we need some help coming up with topics yeah but don't ask us about Shinjin, because if you're asking, you don't get it. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. See ya.